0: my name is joe i am a designer and i'm brian and i'm also a designer on this week's show we're going to be talking about failure what it means i feel so damn bad and uh we'll see you in a bit How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. I'm about to go on vacation, which Oh, feels nice. Nice. I'm really bad at vacation. Oh, yeah? I'm just like, like I'm bad at planning it. I'm bad at reminding myself that it's coming up, and then once I'm on vacation, I'm I'm not a good vacationer. Oh, yeah. You seem like someone would be a good vacationer. Oh, no. no not at all. <laughs> you I, seem pretty zen
1: to me. Like, you work hard, but you're a pretty zen dude. I think of vacation of like, I'm going to get so much work done. <laughs>
0: I, I have to admit, all I could think about was all these side projects I could totally. really start banking. Out. <laughs> <laughs> totally, <laughs>
1: totally, yeah. No, Kat always talks about like let's go on a writing retreat or right. a work vacation. I just or went of al-
0: yeah. those. I was away for three days, away from everyone, just writing. Oh, it was nice! Amazing. Oh, yeah. Just recently? Just recently? Oh, really? Yeah, cool. like like a month ago. i oh. And like way better than sitting like on the beach with a drink. Like, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> Who has the fucking time? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um. Well, cool. So, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about failure. We're going to talk about. um, I actually don't even like the framework of what I. We call it failure because everyone knows what that means. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that I want to talk about it like something that didn't work in every way. Mm -hmm. It's just that maybe it didn't work in a way that you were thinking, right? So it's more like unexpected outcomes. Okay. So, and what and
1: why are we talking about that for our listeners? Because so are, the are they a going to get out of it? Interesting. This? I mean, as yeah. a creative, right?
0: Yeah. Not. What do you say? Honestly, give me a percent. How much percent of your work do you not does not make it to final ship code? Zero. Print. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: we're going to have a very different take on failure
0: today. But okay. let's. Do, okay. Yeah. No. Okay. No. Seriously. No. Uh, a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. Something turning out different than you want to. But I mm-hmm. guess I guess that's where we're going. Right. The, the creative process is such that. Um, what you have in your head mm-hmm. and what the final thing becomes is this strange and woolly trail. Yeah. And and sometimes just the, the 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 cognitive dissonance between what you thought it was going to be at the start and what it turns out at the end, like that is like where like adulthood lies. And okay. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure I'm totally an adult in that regard. Because okay. I still kind of like refuse to to accept that that change, okay. that metamorphosis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Okay. So the reason I'm thinking about this is because for the past five years, um, my friend and I, the very brilliant and talented Tim Lillis and I, were running a web magazine called Primer Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some um, audience love. We mostly got, like, critical love. We got, like, awards and nice people saying nice things about us. We never really developed an audience. Right. Um, and that feels... Funny because there is the like intent of what you go out to do, like I said before, and then what it ends up being, and just because it didn't turn out the way you personally, professionally, monetarily turned out, is that is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. So um, this project was basically based around the the idea that Tim and I had for a long time that um, kind of engineering ruled the web for a lot of factors for you know, um, business factors and all that stuff. But Tim and I want to kind of bring a kind of designer-led magazine-y vibe back to the web, and at times it was getting super platformy, And so we tried this experiment, and and we made a lot of beautiful work, and I think that um, I'm very proud of the work, and I think it made me grow as a designer leaps and bounds. I think I'm a completely different creative than I was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I'm not making my money from it. So Does that ever really happen, that your, no. your passion I mean, projects make money? Well, I mean, I think we're told these stories, mm-hmm. right? That's what gets you through school or a late night. You think to yourself, yeah. like, all this work will one day be with yeah. like it, right? And in some ways, it does have to satisfy that, like, very base need of, like, am I covering my nut and being right. creative at the same time? Right. And any type of deviation from that, like, perfect plane, plane of existence mm-hmm. sometimes feels off. Maybe mm-hmm. you're doing client work. Maybe you're... Um, working for a client you don't really like, maybe mm-hmm. you're working on work that you find kind of boring. Like, these are all kind of deviations of like this like, perfect mean of like, I'm creating for a living. Yeah, totally. So, how are we going to unpack this? So,
1: you want to talk about failure? And I want to talk about, we've I want to talk, about, sure wanna talk about the term of failure. Okay,
0: okay. I want to talk about the concept of failure. Yeah. Because I have a very different take on failure. Yeah. From you. From me. From you. I want to hear what you think about failure.
1: Um, I think that you don't achieve anything without some failure. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I'm really, I'm very interested in, I'm actually like, what I've told people in the past is, um, that have worked for me is I'm more interested in your failures than your perceived successes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, your failure is something where you learn from Mm -hmm. and you can actually share that insight with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, a success is kind of like well, good for me. Like, let's all pat ourselves on our back. And like, if we don't really right. understand. Right, are all the same. Yeah, right? yeah. And you could have totally have been successful on accident, mm. right? And not actually know how to duplicate that success. Mm-hmm. But a failure, you walk into that failure, you're like, you kick yourself, you beat yourself up, and then you make sure you don't do it again. Or if you approach that maybe a little bit differently the next time. And the result, the outcome of that is always better.
0: Right. In my experience. Right. I, I mean, I also think it's—how it's, it's um, how do I say this? Um, when I was a kid, my grandfather on my father's side was a real blue-collar type of guy. Mm-hmm. He, he was an Italian-American, which at the time— Believe it or not, there was some prejudice against Italian-Americans. Yeah. So he um, he was a born salesman. He mm-hmm. could just, you know, he could talk his way through a cornfield. He was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he decided to sell vacuum cleaners door-to-door. Mm-hmm. So he would run around Boston area selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door. Did very, very well for himself. Eventually hit some kind of, like, prejud- prejudicial glass ceiling where he couldn't va- advance beyond that. But mm-hmm. he became, like, you know, someone who was big in the door-to-door <laughs> vacuum cleaner salesman or whatever uh, the hell that means. Yeah. Um but my grandfather's version of success was that he had $100 in his pocket all the time. Right. I, right, the 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 thrice-abstracted genetical pile that I am from mm-hmm. that, I have this super hyper-articulated notion of what it means to be, like, a successful human being. Yeah. And that's, like—I feel like that's on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's yeah. not the, the planet's fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see, I see that.
1: I mean, so when— for me, as I was uh, coming up um, and doing design and, and you know, really just kind of like grinding out projects and, and you know, taking gigs wherever I could get them. Um, I mean, again, this wasn't, the industry was very different than it is today. So, um, you know, you really had to kind of convince people to do like, you know, UX and, right. and good design sure. and things like that. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, my my I just I had like zero career ambition. Mm. Like I just wanted to like kind of practice my craft, mm. right? Mm. And um and it really wasn't. Uh, it actually it wasn't until uh, I got fired from a job, mm. um that I I really started to say, hey, I need to I need to like ramp up my my game a little bit, mm. um because it, I felt like my entire my entire life was kind of my, the, like the curtain was pu- or carpet was pulled mm. out from underneath me. Mm. And I had a kid and mm. a family to support and all that. Um, and so I was like, this can't really be like a hobby for me anymore. Mm. And so um, so for me, like
0: the person I am today is because of those events. That's really feel funny you say that. I would feel like the only time I really started taking my creativity seriously as a profession was when I had a child. Oh, really? Up before then, I feel like I was just kind of like coasting on honestly a little bit natural ability. I was just kind of like naturally good with a pencil and I could Mm -hmm. just kind of do it and it wasn't too hard for me. And I was just like, "Ah, I made enough money. I only started thinking about becoming like a professional after I had a child. So like this weird, like genetic material, like bell goes off in your head and you're like, I guess I need to do this for real.
1: I think there is definitely like, um, like a provider instinct that kind of kicks in. Um, I've definitely seen it with like, with, with people I've worked with, uh, when they have their first kid, Mm. Like things do get a little. Like, oh, maybe yeah. I should
0: not totally take this unseriously. Right, anymore. right. <laughs> Safety and security definitely <laughs> kicks
1: in, um, and I think that can be really hard in our field. Yes. Um, being a creative
0: and you know putting yourself out there um, and well, trying to develop security. Okay, let's let's layer this additional pile of garbage on top of it, which yeah. is that unlike other professions, let's say you're a pharmacist. God mm-hmm. love them. I know. I don't know any pharmacists. I'm sure it's very reward- rewarding sure. work. It pays well. There doesn't seem to be this additional expectation that you also have to be, like, a creative genius along with being a competent professional in your category. There's, like, this, like, additional thing that is asked of creative people to also kind of have these brilliant side projects and interesting thoughts. And it's just the the notion of kind of journeyman kind of – creative person has kind of gone out the window. Everyone's like a want to be influencer type of thing. Yeah. And that's an additional pressure that I don't think is necessarily vocalized that much.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And and I think, um, I mean, we talked about this previously, actually, of just the, the need um, for junior levels when they're coming up to immediately have like a ton of experience. Right. Um, so they have to distinguish themselves somehow, um, yes. because the market is definitely harder to
0: get into. And I'm so glad I'm not 18 now. Yeah, like, yeah. dude, I am so glad I'm not 18 yet.
1: But I think the way that you get there is through those passion projects and side
0: projects, and it's always working on. Your... I mean, but you have my to point is that not skills. all professions have that, right? Like, right. you're not actually yeah. a pharmacist oh, yeah, yeah. to do the passion side project. The pharmacist mm. just, they she just has to be a pharmacist. <laughs> well,
1: but you had to go to school for that, right? So, I mean, I think that when you're talking about, like, the apply arts fields, mm. right, so mm. designers, digital designers, graphic designers, that okay. sort of thing, okay. um, you know, there is a lot you can get to school. I didn't go to school mm. but uh, for that, um, but there is a lot you can get from school, but I think a lot of it comes from re- real-world experience, being mm-hmm. out there. And, and I do think that in the apply arts field, there is still still kind of this journeyman Mm. apprentice-type methodology. Because that means, let's be honest. So you hire a junior-level person at any sort of company, and what type of work do you give them? The shit Production. work.
0: Yeah. Production work.
1: Like, yeah. the really tedious work yeah. that's kind of required, but is really, for a lot of designers, it's kind of beneath them. and And I don't mean beneath them... Yeah. Well, it's beneath them. <laughs> well, so, well, mm. no.
0: Make sure to email Brian at <laughs> designer snobbery. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, so, I would say two things that make me a little bit disagree with you, even if you're okay. not necessarily a you know uh, a typography expert on the side. Yeah. Uh, one is social media. Uh huh. Um, being expected to just kind of produce content because people know you to be a creative and you're expected to populate your social media. I'm not even talking about like just like Twitter, I'm talking about like Behance or Dribble, like right. constantly right. kind of updating your creative work to show that you're relevant and paying attention to things. Right. So that's one thing. Right. Uh, another thing, quite frankly, is offshoring. Yeah. But like a lot of that like Fiverr work, it's not even being done by folks in this country anymore. Yeah. A lot of it is being offshore. So like if Fiverr is explain what Fiverr is. Fiverr is uh it's a website that basically um it's kind of like a marketplace for designers. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, there is actually a lot of really, really good work on that on uh-huh. that site because it's a lot of people that are in offshore countries that can basically charge a lower rate because their cost of living is much less. Right. So you have, you know, people from Thailand and Hungary and stuff like that. And there's some really amazing talent on there. But the result is that to be a working designer in the U S that level of production work that maybe 25 years ago was sustaining a certain kind of like subclass of designers that were bubbling up. That's kind of gone now. Yeah. So how does this, how does failure kind of weave into what we're talking about? So I think that as I was talking about with Palmer stories, there is a notion of like, what is this made me as a person how has this affected me as a person, mm-hmm. and then what my expected result was because it's not a a public facing win perhaps does is that invalidated mm-hmm. right and so I think going to back what we were talking about about coming up as a as a young creative, there is obviously a value in doing every project you can, even if it's not necessarily kind of publicly lauded mm-hmm. but at a certain point in time there. How do I say this? There has to be an expectation that is going somewhere or something. Like there has to be, the purpose of it can't be only kind of improvement. There, there that stick and carrot thing, I think, needs to be in there somewhere.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So, because I I look at this very differently. Tell me. So, uh, so not to get like all, I don't know, deep. Do it. I guess so. Do it. It's so a podcast. So when? Yeah. So, like, when I was in high school, um, so I went through a really hard time, uh, like, when, you know, 16, okay. 17. So, the girl I was in love with was, like, suicidal mm. and, like, he had, like mm. some real, like, stuff. heavy stuff yep. to kind of deal with as a teenager. And so, I went to, like, this weird alternative school in Portland that had, like, an art therapist mm. as, like, she was, she was my... Uh, she was my main teacher. I mean, there was like six high school teachers. Mm. Um, But she was my, my kind of of counselor as well as teacher. Mm. Mm. Um, And she made me look at all of this very differently. Mm. I mean, coming from like an art therapy background, because Mm. she was like, there is no bad arts. Mm -hmm. You just keep going. Mm -hmm. You just keep moving forward. I would agree with that. And then, um, and she took leave for a while and another uh, teacher came in and he um, started, uh, I don't even remember what the course was, but he basically introduced me to the Tao of Pooh, mm. the book A classic about Winnie the Pooh as well. <laughs> <everywhere. laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> um and reading that book and kind of introduction to Taoism totally transformed my life mm. at that point. Mm. And again, a, a, another thing that I think kind Are of, you a Taoist
0: now? I
1: consider myself to be one. Okay. Okay. Um so uh so in those in in that frame of light, um I'm I don't, I mean, I'm not like, how do you, I don't even really think about a practicing Taoist. Sure. Just it's a just beliefs. looking at the world through that lens mm-hmm. of, of just kind of trying to lower expectations and being more appreciative of kind of the things that kind of come in front of you. And I I felt as a designer
0: that's served me very well. So first of all, man, a hundred percent gold star, like everything <laughs> like, you just said, brother, right on, like awesome. However... Like, I, I wish I could be, I just don't, maybe I'm just not Tao enough. Like, <laughs> I can hear what you say, uh-huh. and I totally agree with it rhetorically and philosophically, uh-huh. and yet, <laughs> I I'm trying to think of a time when a success has felt like a total success and it hasn't been partnered either with some kind of like laudatory praise or financial payout. Maybe maybe I'm trapped by the capitalist system or reward system we live in. Yeah. But like yeah. doing a poster that I think is magnificent and I've just it's the best work I've ever done and then it just getting zero response. I mean, creative work is an external art. It's an exter- external facing art. You are asking for reaction. You are saying, I yeah. am making something and it is in the world. Is it, but is he... Not getting a reaction to that. Uh I mean, almost dead silence is worse than a bad reaction because at least a bad reaction is a reaction, right? right? It's generating an emotion in the world. Right. Making something and getting no reaction at all, even though philosophically it could be a great spiritual win, there's something not there about creating
1: things. But what are you you expecting in return when you... I mean, so I look at that... To make a ripple in
0: the universe. Okay, okay. Can... That is what creative work is for—is to make a ripple in the universe. <laughs> if you drop your stone and it don't get a fucking ripple, you uh-huh. are bummed out.
1: Yeah, I can see that. You that you have to love the work. You have to. You really do have to love sure. what you do, and you need to feel like you're making some sort of contribution.
0: And, I mean, maybe this just means I'm an egomaniac, but like, I feel like <laughs> if it's good, it should get a reaction. So, okay, let's see.
1: I'm gonna. I I want to think about, or talk a little bit about, I'll talk about my dad. Okay. So my dad was an engineer, and um, he also, he didn't go to college or anything like that. Um, And But he went to the Air Force, and he was like on the GI Bill or something like that. I don't remember, but he was, he learned about engineering through through being enlisted into the Air Force. Got it. So um, he was, you know, trying to, he had, Kids to support and a family to support and that sort of thing. So he was trying to get a job and he got a job at the Oregon Health Services or something like that OHSU in in Portland. Okay. And um and the story my dad is famous for telling tall tales. So I'm gonna <laughs> cool. relay the stories that's been relayed to me. <laughs> so it may not be hundred percent factually. Okay. Active. Um, but it makes for a good story. Okay. So, uh so my dad um was when working at OHSU, he um was asked to work on electric shock boxes. Wow. Because back then, this was early 60s, late 50s, mm. that's what they did. Mm. And um and he's like as an engineer, as someone that understands like electricity, mm. I know this can't be good, mm. right? And so he refused to work on those. Good for him. And um, so he met some some uh, doctors at the at OHSU, and um, started working on uh, uh, this this device okay. um, that was able to actually provide. It's uh, so it's called electroconvulsive therapy or ECT, and okay. it's still done today, and okay. a lot of places do it, and it can be beneficial. But back then, like when you see like. Um, the, uh, what's the, Jack Nicholson? Monthly of the kookiness. That's, thank you. When you see that, that's how it used to be, right? right. Where you're just basically pe- plugging people into the wall. Right. Um So this would actually, like, you had to be trained to do it, and mm-hmm. it, it would regulate the type of electricity, so people would actually, it would still deliver the mm-hmm. shock, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have the uh, detrimental effects. It wouldn't make people, like, mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, so he developed this device and and was able to kind of revolutionize Amazing. the way that ECT was done. Amazing. And it's, and I mean now those shock boxes are, you know, archaic, right? Right. Um and and a lot of ECT is still based off of some of the stuff that he did back then. So cool. Um so he was able to take that success, mm. right? Mm. Uh and then he was able to start a business doing mm. custom engineering. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so he started a new company in Portland and then, um, a friend of his that worked in the restaurant industry came to him with another problem. So he was Mm. able to, Mm. where I wanted to kind of tell that story is to prove that my dad kind of understands technology Mm. and Mm. is an engineer and was able to take one success and go and thought that he had like maybe, um, uh, he had some, some mojo, Mm. right? He had like... Like maybe, um, he had some success in, in his sales and mm. he thought that he could keep going. Mm. Um, so then he then, uh, was able to, uh, or his friend that owned a restaurant, um, came to him and asked him to, uh, if the problem was the people were sitting there like filling up sodas forever. Mm. And, you know, like, at a restaurant, mm. like, I think it was, like, an Orange Julius or something. Okay. But the, the staff was just sitting there, like, holding their hand under the the spigot. So he's like, maybe there's a way that we could, like, automate that somehow. Mm. Mm. And so my dad then created this, what's called the portion controlling soda dispenser. It's in every McDonald's and every movie That's theater. so cool. And, I mean, it's wow. Like the, the only time you ever have to actually <laughs> hold it under there is when you have to do it, right? And <laughs> when people that are paid to do that, they use a bu- they press a button. Um, so he invented that mechanism. Wow. Um, and uh, and he sold it to his friend, and this was like in the '70s or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really knew as a as a uh, somebody that understood engineering mm. and understood like the restaurant industry and all the research up to that point. He knew that he was onto something, mm. right? That He took it to all the restaurant shows and everything, and then that device that is in every McDonald's, every fast food restaurant, was a complete failure back in the 70s. Mm. He Mm. then abandoned that technology Mm. and started investing into Mm. the world's first and only portion-controlling beer dispenser, (laughs) because he thought that's where the money was. And it turns out it wasn't. And No. And so so he had this technology, and he was able to sell his company and blah, 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 but... The thing is it that, that So th- you're thinking about it from a long scale. The that that just because you know what's good my dad understood what the, the that he was onto something he invented something great it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the world is ready for that. That is definitely true. And we were talking in a previous episode we were talking about our mutual friend David Adams same yeah. same thing. Yes. You, you know there are some people that are out there they are always going to be Kind of cursed yes. to be able to see the, how the world will work. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and they know how to, and they may not have the ability or the wherewithal to actually put the dent into the universe. Yep.
0: But they definitely get the ball rolling. That is true. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, once again, gold star, totally. <laughs> But if we are, if we're bringing it back to that notion of kind of like the the, the immediate downward slope of failure in, in the moment, like that still feels pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you feel oh, like totally. you're you're you're, st- you're pushing your your medium forward or or you've grown as a person, that feels pretty bad. So, do you do you have any methodology for kind of getting yourself out of that funk, or is it just like onto the next project? I feel like for me, it's just like I just focus on the next thing. So, if it hasn't worked out the way it wants,
1: yes, there's definitely just pivot and move on to the next thing, right? Um, I think it's effective, it is, it is. Um, so, so I have a couple strategies, okay? So, one is, um, is do that, right? And the other one, as as autism may sound, is spite, (laughs) (laughs) tell me more, is that. If I have something that's a uh, is a failure and oh. I'm pretty convinced I'm right, uh. then I get maybe a little too spiteful, and I'm like, "God damn it! I am going to work harder." Oh, absolutely! To prove yes, that the this rage is... work. I love the rage <laughs> right. work.
0: I would say like fifty percent of my life is rage work. Like I'll right. show them all I, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> um, sounds like you're really Taoist there. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes like like a stone in a pond it's my own <laughs>
1: interpretation <laughs> yeah um but no i but seriously that that is that is something that i will definitely like think to myself okay i i've got to make this up. and again that's how i started my own business when i got fired i got fired for bullshit reasons um, I, I my whole life was again my my rug was uh, pulled from underneath me and i was like out of spite mm. I'm going to be more successful. I'm going right. to do better. Right. right. And um, and it gave a me while. a drive. Especially when you're young. What, well, what happened is I broke the habits. Mm-hmm. I broke my bad habits. So there was things like um, back then, like I didn't want to. I still even today, I didn't want to like get on the phone. I didn't want to talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so northwest of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right. If in order to be successful, I've got to be able to like make sales calls. Right. I right. have to cold yeah, call. Yeah. It's pretty much. The king caboodle. Right. In order to in order to get my persona out there, I needed to get on stage and I needed to start mm. sharing some of my mm. insights. Those things were I was deathly afraid of. Definitely. Doing. But I was said to, I said to myself, if I am if I don't do these things, I'm going to. I'm going to I'm I'm going to fall into this trap of what maybe some other people think of me, or really what the devil on our backs tell us.
0: Yeah, totally, and that makes me think that there's also this other way where it's like we're always setting the terms of failure on our own terms, and a mm-hmm. lot of ways, like a lot of preconceived kind of blinders and limitations we've already put on our stuff like it can succeed only in this way with these under right. these parameters because of this way and this right. person has to say this thing and only then can I really feel good about it right like, before I was just bemoaning the death of primer stories but uh-huh. like we refuse to take any ads uh-huh we would only work with do-gooder clients we would only respond to rfps ahead like but we've put all of these ridiculous one and webby right sure but I mean like yeah we were totally <laughs> successful. even within those parameters we were yeah. pretty successful but yeah. that's what I mean like when when you're when you're def- you, when you're self-defining your own version of what your kind of fantasy heaven mirror image of you being happy is uh-huh. I think I think it gets back to that Dabas point that comes from deep down inside yeah. like that illusory thing that you're chasing after that never fucking existed. Yeah. Even when you, I, Sandra Low has this great line where she says, whenever success comes, it's way later than you thought it was going to be. And it feels way less good. And you've already like moved beyond that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the time you've hit that level, you feel like you should be at. You're like, Oh yeah, that thing, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Because it's illusory because it comes from inside.
1: Right. Right. Agreed. Well, so I have, I do have another story. Tell me. Is it, I was actually not going to, I didn't have that much to say, but now I feel like. I no, have open up say, but, the floodgates, man. Um, so my biggest perceived failure, I don't even really know how to classify it. I don't really consider it a failure in retrospect, but back then it was kind of weird. So um, at my old company, so we had like, I don't know, like 15 people or so working yeah. for us. Um, and this is my company. I'm the CEO, whatever. So I was only founder. I had no business partners, whatever. Um so, uh, a customer came to me and then basically said, we want you to open up offices here, here, and here. Wow. And we you know, we want you to take over this whole huge part oh, of I our business. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so I, w- I was like, suddenly I was just uh, like freaking out because yeah. I was like, I need to go to 15 to like a hundred, like overnight. Right. And, um, and I was like, I don't really know if I want to do that. Right. So it, Full disclosure: I was also going through a divorce. Mm. My kid was having all sorts of challenges, mm. and I like, and I was like, this was not a good, be- mm. good time mm. to like mm. grow my business. So, um, and also I was worried about cash flow. And I mean, I and I'm already like not sleeping nights because <laughs> of like the breakup of my family. But right. then now I am like literally, I was sleeping maybe like two hours a night. Oh my god! And so, um, and so I was just kind of freaked out about this perception of success. Mm. And so uh, luckily I have a really great uh, mentor. He's uh, mentored me through all these kind of creative struggles for Mm. many years. Mm. Um, And then he pulled in another guy uh, that helped me out. And so I started um, engaging with them and kind Mm. of meeting and kind of strategizing, how do we scale this company up? Mm. And they kept telling me, they've both been successful in doing that before. And they were telling me what I needed to do. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Um, and so I actually started interviewing
0: CEOs to replace me. Wow. Sorry. Was that a hard decision?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, uh, because I was like, I, in order for my business to be successful, this, I need to take this step and this step and this step. And I just didn't, I wasn't in a good place to do that. Yep. And so the last guy I interviewed, I got really great referrals, talked to some amazing people. Um, But the last guy I interviewed, um, I'm telling him the whole situation. And he just says to me, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do any of that. And And you were like, like, you're hired. (laughs) He was like, if you're, you know, if you want to, let's talk. But like. But yeah, and it just but it dawned on me, it's like he he's, yeah. was absolutely right. Yeah. I had this perception of success and the yes. steps that I needed to take. Yes. That I was told by my trusted advisors right. that these this is how to to create success. Right. It, I knew that it wasn't right for me. Right. And um and so so I then uh, so then I had this epiphany. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna just stay. Fifteen people, yeah, and I'm still gonna take this gig, right? And I'm just gonna do it my way, right? And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna open up an office I love halfway it. around the world or hire it. a CEO or whatever. Um, and so I told my staff this grand plan that I had. I just, after, this was months in the making, um, and they were just like not interested. Hmm. We don't want to do that. Hmm. And then they like over half of them left. Wow. And so, um, so, and this was, like, my, my team was my family. Mm. And so it was, like, so I look at that, like, it even makes me emotional today. Mm. But it's, like, I look at that, that was, like, super hard because it felt like I, like, I went through two breakups of my family. Totally. It's to lose my personal family and then my work family, like, so close together. Totally. When I felt like I was doing the right thing. Totally. And so... I look back at that and I say, that feels like a big failure for me, mm. but I, I don't know how I would have ever done anything different, right? I was trying to de- balance to like, w- w- what was right for me and what right. was right for the people that were like put- depending on me. Yeah. And, That's um, hard. but, it, but there was like, there was no win there, mm. right? Someone, mm. someone mm. was going to get hurt. I'm, there's things I probably could have done differently. Um, but this is the thing probably 10 years after the fact that I still think about as my like kind of greatest failure. But I, again, what could I have done? Right. And it's, and I mean, I, I'm sure there's other things I could do, but so, so the be- only thing I can do is I can take that experience and then try to figure out how to move forward with it mm. and kind of understand, like maybe don't put myself in those types of situations or maybe, I'll maybe one day I'll be in the exact same situation and make the exact same choices and just say, well, maybe
0: that's just the cost of doing business. (laughs) You know, kind of sounds like what you're saying is that failure is kind of a youthful illusion. Um, it's kind of like I think it's just a necessary part. It's just not binary. It's just everything is always on a gradient and you can't necessarily brand something good or bad all or one. It's just kind of like it's it's part of the process.
1: It's yeah, it's like. I mean, it's like death, right? Yeah. It's, it's like just death. it's
0: it's out there. It's change, right? And that is the thing that we really fear <laughs> right? the most: right, yeah. change.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and so we we can we can understand we can be fearful of it, hmm. or we can just kind of understand we're powerless. It's going to happen, and we're powerless to do anything about it. So we just have to keep moving forward.
0: Well, I don't think that uh, we need to say anything more about that at all. I think, that... <laughs> I think we solved it. <laughs> Um, really? We've, we've, are you? Do you feel better? I was kind of, I wanted to like... I I feel, I actually feel totally fine about it. Okay. And I would say that the reason I was kind of leading with that question about, about youthful illusion is that I kind of do believe that. Mm-hmm. Is that when you're young and you're convinced that everything is in this kind of either monetary or, or binary notion of like, either I'm doing the thing I want or I don't, the older you get, the more you're like, oh, that thing that I was actually chasing after, like that has nothing to do with these kind of external... Presences and whether these things happen or not like the stuff that made me the happiest about my work was the stuff that came inside for me anyway
1: right and that stuff is always inside of me
0: so what the hell
1: and you have that forever exactly right and no one can ever take that away exactly so exactly screw what other people think right make your fucking work right (laughs) it's not that that my advice to you is it's not the work that's going to create the dent in the universe it's you that will create the dent in the universe oof Oof! Like a
0: dagger in my (laughs) belly. Oh, buddy.
1: It's why it's why you're doing this podcast, right? It's why you keep putting yourself out there. You're going to continue to make these totally, you know, or these um, uh, these perceived failures. You're going to keep trying. Totally, totally. And those are the people that make a difference. So keep failing. Keep failing. (laughs) Go.
0: Keep failing. Go. Fail right now. (laughs)